0: Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your mercy, for your word, for your sacraments, for your church, and we pray that now you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and a will to obey all that you have to say to us. Lord, give us, uh, press us further down the road in clarity of how you have called us in every walk and vocation of life you have called us to make disciples and to love others and to find communion with you lord um, and help us to admit humbly our need of you and help us to see most of all god that you your infinite perfections that in you is a fountain of life so lord give us these spiritual eyes we pray in jesus name amen please be seated my wife and I, we've, we've binged all of our shows so many times that we're looking for new shows. And uh, we started watching Alone from the History Channel. Anybody, anybody seen that? Yeah. So on Alone, they take 10 contestants and they take them to some remote, uh, hard to survive place. And they separate them from one another by a mountain range or a water feature that they can't cross. And the goal is whoever stays the longest wins at the beginning, half a million dollars, and then later in the seasons, a million dollars. And so it's all about how long can you last, how long can you survive. And obviously, in a situation like that, uh, they're allowed to bring ten items. They get a couple of things, like a toothbrush, and they have, to, they have to bring cameras and things like that that they have to bring. But then they get to select ten items. But without fail, every single one of them eventually recognizes, which, because it's obvious, right? the resources that they are going to need to survive are not gonna be found in them. It's not gonna be found in their pack or in what the production team has given them. It's it's gonna be outside of themselves. They are going to be utterly dependent for an indefinite period of time as they try to will themselves to a half a million or a million dollars. And I thought, it's actually a pretty good analogy for life because in a situation like that, you are forced to admit what is always true. That the, the resources that you and I need for your calling are not found in you. There's not enough in you. There's not enough strength in you and perseverance and grace and joy. There's just not enough in you. You need a source that's bigger and deeper and infinite. You need God, and I need God. That's what I think this passage, more than anything, teaches us. It teaches us who this God is, who can be the resource, the supply for this life that he's called us to. That's, that's sort of my big idea. The resources you need to fulfill your calling are found in God, not in you. That's what Moses learns, and I think that's what we need to hear this morning. First of all, look, you know, I mean, you can see that it's a calling, right? It's a calling narrative. It's a story about God encountering a person and redirecting their life and saying, here's how you used to live. Here's now how I'm calling you to live. Here's what you used to do. Here's now what I'm calling you. To do. Verses 2, 3, and 4, the you see this the burning bush, and we'll come back to that in a, in a little bit. But Moses has this powerful encounter with God at the burning bush. But the that encounter is the very place in verse 10 where God calls Moses into God's service. In verse 10, it says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is a repeated, almost ad nauseum pattern in the bible whenever god encounters someone powerfully he doesn't say okay now you have a good day he says i want you to do this i want you to go here i want you to say this i want you to do this thing god whenever god encounters someone he always calls them into his own purposes and just a little bit later in the book of exodus chapter 19 the the people of god the sons of israel are actually going to relive this experience they're going to go to the same mountain and see the fire of God come down on the mountain, and they're going to enter into a covenant, and God is going to say, you will be my people, my treasured possession, though I have all the nations of the earth. You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Every time in the Bible when God encounters someone, he calls them into his purposes. You could look at Isaiah chapter 6, when God gives Isaiah a vision of the Lord seated on his throne, and then calls him to be the prophet. In the New Testament, Peter takes that image from Exodus 19 and says, that's what the church is all about. We've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light that we may, does anybody know? Do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, right? Uh, It was in the Psalm, Psalm 105, in the first two verses. If you've been redeemed, tell the nations, whenever you encounter God, he calls you into his purposes. Now by that, I don't mean that he calls every single person to drop everything, go to seminary, become a vocational minister or a vocational missionary, though the Lord may be calling you to that. I mean that wherever you are, God has called you. Where, whatever you've experienced, whatever situation, whatever life experience, whatever career you have, in that place, God has called you to be part of his work of redeeming the world. He's called you there to love people, to serve people, to commune with him, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to fight against your sin. He has called you if you know him. If you have encountered God in the gospel, if you know in your heart, in the deepest part of your heart, that Christ is risen, right? That Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, then God has called you. You're on the team now, right? You've been set free to serve God, and I wanted to say, uh, just as I was thinking about this as a, as a dad as a, and, and watching my wife as a, as a homemaker, that so often it's all the little things in life, the little mundane things, the little frustrating things in life that are actually the place where God is most powerfully at work. I have seven kids in my house, which means I have eight, counting my wife, people that God has put in such close proximity to me, and he's called me to disciple them. He's called me to, to model for them self-sacrificial love. Who are the people in your life? Where has God placed you? C.S. Lewis, uh, one time a housewife wrote him a letter and, I, and, and he, he wrote back, he said, I think I can understand that feeling about a housewife's work being like that of Sisyphus. You remember Sisyphus just rolled the, the, the rock up the mountain and then it just rolls back down and he just does it. That's, he, I, that's a great image, right? And Lewis says, but it is surely in reality the most important work in the world. What do ships and railways and mines and cars and government exist for except for that people may be fed, warmed, and safe in their own homes? There is a way of looking at your your life, your career, your vocation, wherever you are in life, whatever your lot in life, there's a way of looking at it that is actually strengthened and ennobled if you look at it under the guise of God's calling on your life. When God encounters people, he calls them into his purposes, full stop part two, but the resources we need to fulfill that calling are not found in us. Moses is keenly aware of that, keenly aware of that. If you read the rest of chapter 3 and even into chapter 4 through verse 17, um, Moses does not want this job, right? (laughs) Verse 11, who am I, Lord, that you should send me? I'm a nobody. I'm I'm not your guy, you know? Draft somebody else, uh, verse 13, Moses, you know, he doesn't come right in, out and say it, but as we're gonna see, when he asks for God's name, he's not asking God's label, he's asking about what God can do. And in verse 13, it seems like Moses isn't quite sure if he believes the Lord can do what the Lord said he's gonna do. I'm not really sure if the Lord can stand up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the most powerful person in the world. We've been oppressed for decades. I'm not sure that the Lord can come through. In, verse, uh, in chapter four, verse one, He's worried that the people won't hear him, won't, won't listen to him. You know, they're gonna say, you didn't meet God. Why should we listen to you? You didn't meet God. Have you ever felt that way? Like if I say something to my friend, to my neighbor, to my spouse, to my child, they're, they're not gonna believe that God gave me that, that revelation or that God spoke to me through the Bible or that God ministered to me in some powerful way in a time of prayer. They're not gonna believe me. Chapter four, verses 10 and 11, Moses says, I'm not eloquent, Lord. He, uh, my tongue is fat. That's what he says. My tongue's fat. I can't hardly get my words out of my mouth. Use somebody else. And then he just comes out and says it, chapter 4, verse 13. I just love the honesty of it. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way in your career, in your life, in your parenting, <laughs> in, your, in, your, in, your, um, in your neighborhood, in your marriage? Have you ever felt that way? I wish someone else could handle this problem. I wish someone else could be the one who has to have that conversation again. I wish someone else could be the person who has to take, take the heat or, or risk something for standing up for Jesus. I wish Lord sends someone else. Moses is keenly aware that he, he's not up to the task. He's not made of the right stuff, right? I, I'm sure that you feel that way because I often feel that way. Now, sometimes people will say, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he absolutely does. If you don't have seven kids, then you don't get to speak into that conversation. (laughs) But don't just listen to me. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God raises the dead brothers and sisters your whole life is stuff is more than you can handle god has given you a life and a calling and relationships and a vocation that is above your pay grade you cannot do it on your own and and you'll you'll either find that out in in a dramatic horrible way or you'll be one of the lucky ones who are able to distract yourself through life lucky ones scare quotes what we need to just admit is that we're not up to the task, but God doesn't expect us to be up to the task. That's, that's like his whole thing is pouring out his grace and blessing on his people and showing up and, letting, and, and helping you to rely on him because you can't raise the dead, but he can, right? And so it's actually in, in chapter uh, 3 verses 11 and 12 where Moses says, who am I that I should go? One commentator he, he, he said, this is what God's answer, when God says, um, I will be with you, God's answer means who Moses is is not the question, it is rather who is with Moses. Who Moses is is not the question, it's rather who, who is with Moses. Who Curtis is is not the question, it's rather who is with Curtis. Because the resources that we need to fulfill our calling are found in God. So who is this God. What are the resources we have in God that this passage reveals to us? In verse 13, that question of the name, as I mentioned, is not about the label that you can put on God. Now, for us, we often pick names because maybe for sentimental reasons, their family name or something like that, or just because uh, aesthetic reasons. We like how they sound, or we think they're cool, or they're, they're kind of in the zeitgeist, and they're popular right now, which is why you get Aiden, Braid, Jaden, Jade, and Caden, right? Uh, you get that thing happening where people are like, oh, I love that name, and that's cool. Um, that's how we name people, usually. But in the ancient world, that's not what names were about, right? You probably know this. Names are about character. Names are about, uh, the, for a parent naming a child, it might be about the hopes and wishes you have for that, that child, or it might be about the situation out of which they were born, or something like that. But with God, his name tells us who he is, what he's like. It gives us a window into his essence. Now, we can't we can't understand that but as we think about this we can we can reflect and glean some things so when God says I am what I am that suggests so many things and and throughout the history of the church people have meditated and reflected on this and spent like lifetimes just thinking about the name of God and what it what it seems to entail I am that I am implies that I never change right I am what I am I didn't begin to be something. I won't change into something else. I am what I am. Uh, It's a pun on the name Yahweh. They sound and are spelled similar. It means that God is totally self sufficient. I am that I am. No one else makes me who I am, God says. No one else uh, increases me or decreases or diminishes me, but I am that I am. God is infinite, He's eternal, He's self sufficient. No, no thing or person makes him to be what he is. He is the God who is, I am. And, and that's, I think, what the point of the bush not being consumed is, that God, this, the holy fire representing the, the presence of God doesn't need fuel, right? It doesn't consume the bush because it doesn't need fuel. It's a self-sustaining fire because God is infinite in his perfections. He is perfectly and fully everything that the Bible describes him to be, good and beautiful and true and righteous and wise and so many other things. He is that all the way down. Never more so, never less so. That's why I said he's infinite in his perfections. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a 12th century uh, Benedictine monk, he wrote, if you have said of God that he is good, great, blessed, wise, or any other such quality, it is summed up in a single word, is. God is fully in his being, everything that the Bible describes him to be, everything that you and I have experienced him to be, to the fullest extent, never more so, never less so. He is the I am. He is the one who simply is. And I I was reading this morning, actually, uh, I read Calvin on this this section, and he was reflecting, and and I think he gets it 100% right. He says, um, all of that thinking about all of that and and the nature of God, the essence of God, and what God is like is all going to be revealed in the the coming chapters of the book of Exodus. All of that perfect grace and all of that perfect power and all of that perfect wisdom, that's all going to be revealed to Moses and poured out on his people as we go through the book of Exodus. So what are some of those, um, what are some of the resources that we have that flow out of God who is this infinite, perfect fountain? First of all, we, we have the promise of God's presence. You know, he, God didn't just say, Moses, go deliver my people. He said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and I will be with you, right? He, God says, he's going to come down. He's going to come into the mess. He's going to come into the brokenness. He's going to be right here. He promises in verse 12 that, that he'll be with him as he sends him to Pharaoh. He promises in verse 18, that he's going to come and meet with his people. God is all about presence. He wants to be with his people. Not just Moses, not just Israel, but you and me, right? Jesus said at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, it's kind of interesting, the last word of the Gospel of Matthew is, I will be with you. God is always with us through the Holy Spirit. If we have faith in Jesus, God is always with us. You know, when you, when you're, when you are not physically alone, but you feel emotionally and spiritually alone. Can, I don't know if you can relate to that, but God is with you. When you feel like an orphan, you're not. God is with you because he's eternal, infinite, perfect. Secondly, we, we, because the resources don't come from us, it's, it's good news. God is infinite in his power. Verse 8 and 17, God, again, it's God who's, who's going to do this work. I will bring them up out of the affliction. In verses 19 and 20, he goes on to say that pho- uh, Pharaoh's not going to let them go, but I, with my mighty hand, with my mighty hand, I will bring them out. I will do all manner of wonders there, verse 20. We read that in, in Psalm 105. Remember the wonders of God and all his miracles and all his mighty works. God is a God of mighty power. And he, doesn't he still work wonders? You know, if you think about it, even your faith... Is the way the Bible describes it. Even your faith is a miraculous work of God's power. You were dead. Spiritually dead. And God made you alive in Christ Jesus through faith. God in his power restores marriages and relationships. God in his power helps you to have that conversation again. To get up again to serve your person that you're caring for or your children. It gives you the power to hold your tongue. Right? God is a God of power. He doesn't expect us to pull some kind of resources that don't exist up out of ourselves to fulfill our calling, but he he wants to offer and give his power to be at work in our weakness. Again, thinking about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, over and over in 2 Corinthians, he says the true power comes in weakness. It's when you admit that you don't have what it takes and that you need God, that God's power so often shows up. Third, we have God's gifts. God gives these gifts to Moses. There's several of them, um, including the uh, the silver and gold of the Egyptians. But the main one I want to point out, or the main ones I want to point out is the sign. Remember Moses, in chapter four, Moses, um, he says, okay, I hear everything you're saying, Lord, but what if I go to them and they still won't believe me? Right, if I go to Israel and they won't believe that I've met you, and he gives them the sign. He says, Moses, what's that in your hand? He says, a staff, and he says, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Moses runs away, right? It's kind of a funny detail. Um, and then he gives them also the sign of his hand. He puts his hand inside of his cloak, takes it back out. It's got leprosy, puts it back in, takes it back out, and now it's healed. And then the third sign is the sign of taking water and pouring it on the ground, and it becomes like blood. So he gives, the, gives Moses these signs that accompany God's word through Moses to the people to assure them that what Moses is saying is the truth. God has given us a sign to assure us that the gospel is true and that God extends grace to you. I went to the consecration a couple of weeks ago, and um, not to let you in on all the details of my life, but I was feeling particularly anxious. My my um, spirit was troubled, and then it was time for the Lord's supper, and it kind of like. I felt like the Lord led me to realize, you're about to go take communion, which is a 100% guarantee that if you're coming in faith, that my grace is for you. Can you taste it in your mouth? Can you feel it in your hand? If you can, then my grace is for you. And I was kind of like, God, that's not fair. You know, like I kind of wanted to wallow for a little bit and be upset for a little bit, and you're not letting me because you're being so aggressive with your grace. We have these signs You know, if you're struggling, if if you you don't even if you don't know how am I supposed to be making disciples? If you're struggling with some particular sin or some particular relational issue, there is a sign, an assurance of grace that is offered to you, a gift that God wants to give to you this morning if you will receive it. So we have God's gift. We also have the gift of um, partnership in the gospel. Moses doesn't have to go alone. He gives God gives him Aaron. Right? We're not supposed to be alone. We're not supposed to be doing this work alone. We, God gives us these great gifts, the body of Christ, the table of the Lord. And then finally, what's the last resources that that we can see from this passage? I already, it's connected with the gifts, and it's connected with the power, and it's connected with the presence, and it's great, it's God's grace. So those four were presence, power, gifts, grace. Verse one reminds us that Moses is in Midian. Why is he in Midian? Do you remember? he murdered somebody. So when he said, Lord, who am I that I should go? I think there's, there's some subtext there, right? A, I'm scared of going back because of what might happen, and B, God, don't you know how broken and messed up I am? I'm a murderer. In verses 4 and 5, he's told, take off your, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. But that holiness, God's holiness Although the law and the sacrifices are there um, later in the book of Exodus and through the Pentateuch, they're not actually to keep people away from God. They're to allow people to come near to God. Sometimes we think about holiness as God trying to keep people at arm's length, but it's not about that. It's about God's God is holy, but he wants people near him, and so he provides the means and the mechanisms so that they can come near. This God is the God who, verse 9, hears the cry of his people. He's not not just holy and far away. He's holy and coming down. Verse 16, he sees what's been done. He hears and he sees what has been done to them. And then in verse 7 and 8, it says that he's going to come down and deliver them. He's heard their affliction. and He's going to come down and deliver them, which is just such a beautiful um, adumbration. And adumbration is like an echo that comes before, an adumbration of the gospel, a hint of the gospel that God is going to come down and deliver his people and take them to a new land. The the final resource we have is God's grace. In John 1 we read that Jesus, the word, the one through whom all things were created, came came down, became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who is holy, the one who reveals God to us. You know, John said, "No one's ever seen God except for the word who is at his side and he has revealed him to us." The holy God has come down in Jesus Christ to come near to us. And in, in that um, short little part of John that we read there, four times it emphasized the grace of God. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. In him, we have all received grace upon grace. Through Moses came the law, through Jesus Christ, grace and truth. We need God's grace to fulfill the calling that he has for us. In all of our sins and all the ways that we've been sinned against, there is enough grace in an infinite source of grace in God that we can find forgiveness and healing and strength for the calling he has for us. There is a hymn, we, we, I actually think we sang it just a few weeks ago, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And in, just in that first verse, it's like the hymn writer um, wrote this hymn, just so that 200 years later I can use it as a sermon illustration. Because <laughs> he ties in all of these things. He ties in that sense of, of being a pilgrim. The, the name of God, Jehovah. He ties in the, the weakness of humanity and the power of God, and he ties in the bread of heaven, the gifts of God. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven. Feed me now and evermore. Feed me now and evermore. Let that be your song this week, as you remember that the resources are not in you. That's okay, because they're in God. Trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise and adoration for being who you are and for sharing yourself with us. We pray that you would strengthen us to be a people who are about your business, that we would take seriously our calling, that you would give us the spiritual eyes to see just every facet of our life as a place where we can glorify you, commune with you, serve others, and make disciples. Lord, if we need the wisdom to know how that works, give it to us. If we need your power to stand up and and take another swing, Lord, give it to us. Give us a sense of your presence. Help us to treasure your gifts. And Lord, fill us with your grace. O you who are full of grace and truth. We ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.